Uh, at this point, we should be live. So hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and we are back tonight for Detention Live. Joining me as usual is my co-host, Chris. Chris, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. Uh, and then joining us tonight as a special last minute fill in. Really appreciate them doing this for us is Kevin. Kevin is a returning uh, guest co-host. Uh, Kevin's also the host of uh, the DM of the Game Night Hero podcast. But Kevin, say hello to everyone. Hi, everybody. It's good to be back. Yeah, this is my third time on the show, and I'm super excited to be back. Oh. It's always a good time being on detention. We're, yeah, we're happy to have you. Thank you to Foxblade for jumping into chat. Appreciate you being here with us. So my internet, as always, is terrible. And then on top of that, we've got some storms that have started to move in, and we've already actually had our internet go out twice in like the last 45 minutes. It looked very quickly in and out. Uh, so just fingers crossed, knock on wood, because the streams have actually been very solid over the last few weeks ever since tom helped me make some adjustments to my settings i have no issues so hopefully things are good um uh, we're going to carry on as if everything is fun whether it is or not uh because we are recording through zoom and so the audio only will go up later uh so we're going to kick off things as we always do here and that's with extracurricular and this is where we just talk about what we've been up to recently anything that we feel like sharing with strangers on the internet so movies we've been watching tv shows books we've been reading Etc. Etc. So, Chris, I'll start with you, buddy. What you been up to, man? Um, uh, as usual, lots of work. Just got back from a huge, really intense uh, conference that they sent me to in St. Louis. I uh, learned a lot there. Um, we'll talk about that a little more later. Um, otherwise, just watch the on Amazon Prime. We watched was it the Tomorrow War? I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Chris Pratt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. My wife laughed at me because I kept picking it apart going, you can't go back in time to change something because then you don't know in the future to go back in time to change it. So it it, would, it wouldn't work. She's laughing at me going, you're picking apart a movie. I'm like, It's kind of what I do, honey. Yeah. Um, other, other than that, uh, I, I guess mark your calendars because uh, today is my wife and I's 20th anniversary. Congratulations. Wow, awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, That's great. She's uh Love she's it. she's put in her sent her uh, time and uh <laughs> I'm fortunate enough that she's uh still happy and I'm I'm thrilled like I couldn't be happier. <laughs> there you um, go. Uh, originally we were supposed to be in Spain around this time but uh can't get there yet. So hopefully next year. That's our plan. So we got the money saved. We just can't uh, get on the plane to go there yet. <laughs> So yeah, understandable. Uh, so quickly, New York Tater and Sumkey have also jumped into chat. So thank you all for being here. Really appreciate Hello. it. Uh, again, internet's been wonky, so we're going to see what we can do tonight's. Also going to be a little bit different of a show uh, because we had the last minute fill in. So the segments may look a little bit different, especially used books in particular. Uh, but we'll worry about that when we get there. Uh, so Kevin, what about you, buddy? What have you been up to recently? You want to share with strangers on the internet? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, just staying busy and uh, having lots of fun. Um, I've got like four different games going on right now, which is so exciting. Uh, the burnout struggle is real, but it's it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, super pumped to see the Stranger Things season four trailer yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to go into spoilers, but uh, Stranger Things is pretty big deal in my house. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I almost peed my pants a little bit. Oh. It was pretty awesome. Uh, good stuff. If you are a fan of that show, I think huh. you'll get a kick out of where they're taking it. Um, 
I was pretty pumped up. I was, I thought it was pretty, yeah. pretty good. I definitely nice. enjoyed the nice. show, uh, though the, the length between seasons has kind of like my interest has dropped a little bit, but I have to say that trailer was a good yeah. trailer. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was uh, it just the, the way that they had the music going and the, the, the change to how the, the feel of it's a lot darker. You could tell that these kids have grown up now. Yep. And so the mood's a little bit different and that was cool to see. Um, but yeah, other than that, just, uh, like I said, doing lots of gaming, uh, glad to be here tonight. Um, just finished recently the, uh, wheel of time series. And I know last time I was on, we were talking about how I was a couple episodes behind the curve, so to speak, but finished that up. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, a unique experience. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, We're actually going to devote some time just to talk about that in what would normally be the used book section as well. So we're going to, we're going to deep dive into that. Uh, just quickly in chat, Foxblade is coming up on 11 years married. Congratulations. Awesome. And New York Tater has 28 years in June. Wow. Nice. Amazing. Here's to more. Fantastic. Absolutely. Congratulations. All right. So yeah. Anything else, Kevin? No, that's pretty much it. Like I said, just staying busy, trying to, you know, being a, being a husband, being a dad and you know, just, you know, keeping the, uh, the gaming love going, you know, just glad to be here. Like I said, All right, well, <laughs> happy to have you. Uh, so I think I mentioned last time that I was about to take my kids to the first convention that I was ever going to take them to. Uh, so that has happened. That is in the past. And it went very well. Like probably exceeded my expectations. We, we ended up bailing early. We didn't go back on Sunday. Uh, We didn't have anything scheduled to do that day. And they were having as much fun just playing with Joe's kid Xander at his house. And we played some games there, just like, you know, stuff I had brought. So we ended up just playing games till like 10 o'clock. And then we just head on home. Uh, we, We were staying at his house, you know, we crashed there for free, but he was like, he was like 40 minutes away from the convention center, the wrong way, uh, which I didn't realize at the time. I, I knew he lived in the area, but I didn't know exactly when because I'd never been there before. So I was kind of like, you know, we're already 40 minutes on the way towards the house. So, yeah, so the kids were fine with it. Um, but we played in two different games of Pathfinder. And okay. in both cases, like I'm Pathfinder's not my game. Okay. And, and organized play is not my jam. But I will give all the credit in the world to the people who were organizing organized play at Pathfinder for Lexicon. I sent them a very nice email after we've been in communication a little bit after uh, they did a great job of presenting a game that was good for my kids. There were two other uh, older players that were, uh, yeah, our internet's gone out um, that were, that were playing in the game with us and they did everything they could to make sure my kids had a good time. They were absolutely fine with giving them the spotlight, letting them handle everything. It was like, you know, asking them like, what do you think we should do here? Couldn't have asked for a better first time gaming situation for them. And then on Saturday, Joe came and, you know, he was one of the people I played D&D with like my first ever group. He was part of that, Mm -hmm. but he hasn't really played in like, you know, 30 years. His son is nine and he's dying to play, but Joe doesn't know how. And I've been trying to help him. So this was a big deal for him as well. Uh, So we, played it was all five of us and then one other random person who got into the game and again the gm just did an amazing job of making it make sense for them and again i just couldn't ask for better for a better first time situation and then as the game was over uh xander joe's kid said i want to play again like that was his immediate reaction as he could not (laughs) wait to to do the whole thing again um so it you know i i was very very Mm -hmm. happy with what was going on uh that's awesome 
That's awesome. Yeah, it's good to get the kids excited. Absolutely. They're the they're the future. And Absolutely. I don't know. If you watch kids, the excitement they get, it can be so contagious. Mm-hmm. And definitely, I, I love watching kids when I run games or playing games at conventions just to see how crazy creative they can get right. and not get sold into, well, we got to have a serious game. They're kids. If they have a pet armadillo that runs backwards, <laughs> let him, let them have it. Like who cares? Does it, what does it really do to affect your game? Nothing. Right. Play your super serious brooding character and let them play the, the guy who can't open a door, even though he's a thief. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. That or, probably was my biggest fear is that if there were any other players at the table that they would either not have fun or they would make it not fun for us. Cause I, I have been in a couple of games with younger kids that did not go very well. I was very oh. frustrated uh, with them. And I, I kind of, if you go back and listen, this is like my, I don't even think Jacob was alive. I think John Gabriel might've been like, you know, six months old. And I went to origins and Jared and I played in the game and I, I, was kind of complaining about the the father and how he wasn't managing his kid. And it was clear that he was making the game not fun for everybody. And I'm just like, my kids will never act like that if I take them to a convention. So I'm very happy to say that my kids did not act like that at this convention. And I would tell people, if you're going to be a GM at a game, at a con, having your kid as one of the players is probably a bad idea. Mm. Because you're going to nitpick them. You're going to start to yell at them. They're going to nitpick back, and it's going to ruin the table for everybody. Mm. That's the thing. I, I've seen that a lot of times. Um, but you have, you have the flip side where, you know, my son will sit there, and he'll play the same module that I've run five or six times, and he'll just play the same character, and he'll do different things with that character because he wants to see, can he figure a different way to solve the mystery, and can he lead the group in a different direction? Because to him, it was neat to try to problem solve the thing a different way. But know your kid, though. I guess that would be more my statement is know your kid, know if they're going to be a distraction or a help to you. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and I get the idea, like, you know, I can remember even, even back then saying that I look forward to taking my kids to convention. I want to be someone that takes my kids and shares that with other people. But I'm also just my personality. I'm very mindful of other people. Like I'm, I'm yeah. kind of a people pleaser personality. So the fact that this guy was just completely oblivious to everyone else, you know, just like wanting to pull their hair out because the way this kid was acting at the table, I just, it, I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom someone being that oblivious. So I'm just happy to report that that didn't seem to be the case. Uh, so we played some board games. Oh, nice. We, I, I let them buy some stuff. It's kind of a tradition. You go to a convention, you eat some bad food, you buy stuff you don't need. Uh, so John Gabriel has decided that he wants to start collecting dice, which I, I, mm. I nodded and went, that's great. And then inwardly went, Oh my God, no, no. Yeah, but uh, so he now has three sets of dice. Um, nice. One, he, one, he, purchased him well i purchased it but he picked it out the other two i had bought for him based on what i know his favorite colors were uh, so yeah so that was really exciting uh we announced the kickstarter date i don't remember if that was official last time but uh, for a catacon kickstarter goes live august 16th and nice. um we also mentioned last time about the faculty retreat i know chris and i talked a little bit about mm-hmm. that and um so we're actually going to do that again so we're going to have another faculty oh. retreat um, because it's just, it's the most fun I have, but this one's going to be yeah. in September closer to where I'm from 
though it's actually far from where I am now, but it's actually going to be really close to Dayton. So it's like really close to where the convention is. So we're, we're hoping that some of the local folks like Brad and Ryan, who were supposed to go to the effect retreat and couldn't go because of things that happened last minute, that maybe it being closer, they'll be able to stop in if not spend the whole time. But we're probably going to throw out some invites to patrons and some of our, uh, mm-hmm. you know, faculty VI or at Catacon VIPs and stuff again, if people want to show up. But so I'm excited about that. Awesome. I'm still waiting on to get my Ashcan version of Action 12 Cinema back from Tracy. The, they've been invited to go to a convention as a special guest, so they're focused on that right now. But probably mm-hmm. three or four weeks I should have that. Um, I have one publisher that I've been talking to about the game that wants to see that version. So, you know, maybe nice. we might avoid crowdfunding completely. I don't. I have no idea. They just said they'd be interested in taking a look at it. Um, and then I've started working on my next game because this one, I'm not really done with it, but I'm kind of done for the moment. Um, I've already talked a little bit about it, but I got the cover uh, artwork. I'm not ready to show that off yet, but it's, it looks really cool. Uh, and this is going to be a solo journaling game about a thief with tr- basically taking one last shot at trying to make it big and taking Ooh, on a dragon. Uh, so that, that that is exciting. So I'll have some more information on that soon. It looks like the internet is back. So we have people who uh, who are still here. So thank you for sticking it out. Hopefully the internet will cooperate. But again, it, it, the storms are starting to pick up again. So we'll, we shall see. Yeah. All Did right. you see the uh, other thing that hit Kickstarter today? Uh, today? Well, there's like three big ones hit over the last couple of days. I don't know if anything hit specifically today. I got an alert. The DC deck builders out there. Yeah, it, it started yesterday. We had three huge ones. So the the new uh, Matt Colville uh, Arcadia, it's already over a million bucks. The new Monty Cook games, the Appalachian Old Gods, is like yeah. two hundred and something thousand, I think already. And then uh, yeah, Cryptozoic's DC Deck Builder Multiverse Edition. I think I, last time I saw it was like over two hundred. So. I have yet to back any of those, and I'm going to try my hardest not to back any of them, but uh, we shall see. I I already spent my money on one Kickstarter. I'm done for the year. The Marvel. The struggle yeah. is real, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it the zombies. I mean, it's going to be 500-some dollars after shipping, so. Wow. Which yeah, game was that? The Marvel Zombies. Oh, I, love, I love Zombicide, so. And I love Marvel, so when they combined them, and you get, what, Perfect. six or seven box sets and i don't yeah. however many miniatures um i i basically asked for that for my birthday and the wife threw the credit card at me and went go ahead and i went nice. really and she went yeah i was like oh all right i thought there was going to be some negotiating but uh i'll just shut up and keep typing on the keyboard that's right well, that's yep. 20 years of dedication right there for you buddy. that's right yeah <laughs> Yeah. All right. Yeah. So for those of you who are hanging out, all you've really missed is the extracurricular, which was a was a, a fun time. But uh, again, that'll mm-hmm. be out in the audio only um, when it comes out later. So we're going to move on. We're going to hit our uh, first improv game, and that is 10 Things. And this is where we're going to take turns prompting one another in turn to try to come up with a list of 10 things that fit the prompt. The idea here is immediacy is more important than accuracy. So coming up with a list quickly is better as far as the game is concerned than a list that actually makes sense. Uh, Kevin, you are the guest again tonight. Would you like to go first in terms of receiving the prompt and giving a list or prompting someone else first? Uh, I'll go ahead and I'll prompt one of you gentlemen first. All right. You can prompt either one of us and then it'll start the the chain that we will follow along. Start the chain. Okay. Well, I'll ask you then, Michael. (laughs) Okay. Um, Let's go ahead and let's find out 10 things 
that you think would make 10 properties that you think would make a good role-playing game that aren't a role-playing game yet. Okay. Um, Pirates of Dark Water. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Wacky Races. Two. Um, Thundercats. Three. Gummy Bears. Four. <laughs> uh, the Snork. Storks, what, whatever you know, Storks, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course, not five. Um, Pac Man, six. I'm just going through all the old cartoons I used to watch as a kid. Hey, it works. Uh, He Man, technically not out yet, so it still counts. Seven. Um, oh, um, the the Book of Swords fantasy series from Fred Saberhagen, one of my favorites. Oh, yeah, that's good. Eight. Um, um Stephen King Universe. Nine. Like the Dark Tower and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, and then uh, we'll say Stranger Things. We'll go full meta in the circle. The Stranger Things universe nice. as a game, playing a game. Okay. Ten. Yay, Yay. That was, in fact, a list of ten things. All right. You made my day with that Pirates of Dark Water poll right there, sir. Oh, that, that we've, is, we've uh, talked about that several times on Twitter. Yeah, I, I'm I sure someone it. out there has done a, a, a hack of it. But I would if someone puts that... I will buy it even if it's a 5e clone. Like that's the one I'll be like, yeah. I would back that Kickstarter site unseen. I don't care who's doing it. I will, I will back it just to get that PDF. I think it would work really good with fantasy age from green Ronin, but mm. uh, what do I know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Chris, I will prompt yes. you, sir. Um, so you mentioned that you were supposed to be in Spain. So give me 10 other vacation destination spots you'd like to visit at some point in the, in your lifetime. Okay, uh, Iceland. When? Uh, I'd like to go to Scotland. Two. Um, I would like to go to Las Vegas. Three. Um, let's see. Uh, back to San Antonio. Four. Uh, Boston. Five. Uh, I'd like to go to the moon someday. Six. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, someplace that has free bourbon, and I can just pull a cot up and stay there for a few days. Seven. A uh, place that does the same thing, but with uh, cheesecake. Eight. Uh, some place that I can walk around completely naked with the wife. Nine. That's not my house. Um, and uh, we'll say uh, a big convention that never ends. Ten. Nice. Great fact, list. A list of ten things. All right. And then, Chris, you will close the loop by prompting Kevin, sir. All right, Kevin. Uh, oh, we, both, we both wear glasses. Uh, ten, yeah. ten odd things you would use to clean your glasses. Oh, nope. boy. Three of us have glasses. That's it. All righty. Uh, we're going to go snot. Uh, we're going to go with saliva. <laughs> Two. Go no, done that. Uh, Windex. Three. Uh, tomato soup. Four. Dawn uh, dish soap. <laughs> uh, hot chocolate. Six. Uh, uh, cake batter. Seven. Uh, <laughs> uh, hot sauce. Eight. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, Gatorade. Um, Nine. Uh, melted ice cream. Ten. Ten. Uh, I'm not sure how clean they're going to get with all those things, but you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've done the saliva thing. It doesn't work that well. It doesn't. So. Yeah. It, doesn't. it really I've doesn't. I've tried that, I've tried too. that too. Oh. Yeah. I, yeah. Windex, I've used that. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I actually buy the little like wipes you like give them at Walmart, oh, yeah. like you know, 500 and a box thing that's what i used um so for used books tonight we're going to be we're going to do a little bit different because we were supposed to originally have ryan on uh he had a family emergency everything's okay but he has a family member that's in the hospital currently so mm-hmm. he had to bail kind of last minute kevin stepped in 
So we weren't going to make Kevin try to come up with something top of his head. So we're going to kind of do two topics. One, we're going to talk a little bit about the Wheel of Time TV show. Uh, last time Kevin was on, we talked a little bit about it. He hadn't finished it. I had. Um, we've both read the book series. I've read it a couple times. Uh, he seems to be much more involved. Like he, he knows the book series a lot better than I. And I wanted to talk to him about some of my concerns and my thoughts. And then just by happenstance, Chris mentioned tonight that he just recently finished it. So all three of us have recently watched the real will of time. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to tell you right now, probably going to be on the negative side. Cause I don't think any of us particularly loved it. Um, uh, so, so spoiler warning, if, if you are listening Spoilers. or watching and you have not yet watched it or you love it, might not be a good conversation for you to hang out with, but uh, we're going to spend 15, 20 minutes on this or so. And then Chris has another topic that we're going to talk that's nice. more about role-playing games. Um, so so I'll just kick it off here. I get that you need to make changes when you adapt mm-hmm. things to different medium. So, so initially I had some reservations about some of the changes that they made because I just didn't understand why they made them. I get that you do need to change things, but some of the things they changed just didn't make sense to me. And also as someone who's read the books, like I, I'm looking like, you know, the, the down the line, they made a change here, but I, you know, there's like something that happens in like book four that relates to this. So I guess they're, they're just going to have to change that too, which again, is fine, but I just didn't quite understand some of the reasons. So let's start positively. So Kevin, tell me something that you did like about the show, a particular character, a scene, an actor, whatever the case may be. What is something that you did enjoy about the show? Definitely. Um, I think all in all, I think the the casting of the show was really good. I was really surprised when Rosamund Pike was put in as Moraine because I always picture like a Rachel Weiss kind of look, mm. uh, but she was great. Um, I think uh, Daniel Henney, who played Lan, was awesome. Mm-hmm. I think he captured Lan, even though they did a lot more emotion with him than from the books. Uh, but I thought the acting was pretty spot on, even with some of the, I'll be honest, missteps of some of the way the characterizations were done. Mm-hmm. I feel like all of the actors were really strong. Um, everybody really had a lot of presence. I don't feel like there was anybody who I was like, oh, my gosh, get off the screen. You know, right. Um, and like I said, there, were, there was moments that might not have been written that well, but I think definitely the uh, the cast was pretty solid. Even even uh, minor characters, uh, the guy who played Logan was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there was a lot of a lot of positives there. Yeah, I I, didn't, I would agree with that. I think across the board there weren't any like there were some choices made on casting that I wouldn't have agreed with, but I think all the actors actually held their own with the material they were given. And I thought they did a pretty good job with it overall. There wasn't anybody that I was just like, oh, that person's terrible. There were some people I'm like, they shouldn't be playing that character, but I didn't really have a problem with the acting. So Chris, you have not read any of the books, right? Nope, not any of them. But you did watch the the show recently. So what is there something that you enjoyed about the show? Anything in particular? I, I, I did like how they did magic or channeling, whatever you want to call it, how they visually did it. I liked that aspect of it. Um, I really liked the it Ogree, not Ogre, because you yeah. corrected him. Ogier. Ogier, thank you. I, I liked that character. I thought that was a, a neat kind of twist on, you know, what would normally be the big dumb guy. He turned out to be really the big, nice pacifist, very intelligent guy. Smart guy, yeah. Yeah. Um, I liked some of the, the scenery looked really neat. You know, some of it looked very CGI, but a <laughs> lot of it looked very you know, it looked really nice and kind of inviting. I, I think maybe if 
maybe if the name was different and it wasn't such a recognized IP, I might've gone with some different expectations and we're starting with the positive. So what were some of the positives you liked? So again, I thought the actors across the board, I thought every, mm -hmm. everybody uh, handled themselves well, the material, it, it looked pretty expensive. Like I wasn't a huge fan of the CGI on some of the monsters. Like you could tell they were doing mm -hmm. like a, some in costume, some not. And when it was not, it was very clear. Um, and the Trollocs. You mean. You know, the Trollocs. Uh, it was pretty brutal. Like there was some, yeah. you know, some of oh, the, yeah. they didn't shy away from some of the violence that was in there. And, you know, it was kind of gory to a point that was a little bit shocking, but it fit the material well. It looked expensive. Uh, and again, I would just say the acting across the board. I, I can't think of any, again, any character that was not acted well, whether I, I understood mm -hmm. what they were doing necessarily with the character, but it wasn't anybody that I just thought didn't hold their own. And then in particular, the the guy who plays Matt Cawthon, um, I know they actually changed actors for second season. I don't, I don't know the behind the scenes why, but I know they ended up getting, they changed the actor, but I thought he did an exceptionally good job with that character. So that was some of my positives. All right. So Kevin, you don't have to go through all of them, but is there okay. anything in particular that maybe could have been better in your opinion? Sure. Um, I think um, a lot of the things that I had a concern with um, in a nutshell, and, and I'm with you, I understand that they have to change things. They have to truncate mm -hmm. things. I mean, we're talking sure. about the wheel of time as a 14, technically 15 book series that is thousands, hundreds of thousands of words long. And there's over 280 named characters in the book series so there's a lot to trudge through yeah. so they got to truncate a lot of that down so i was fine with all of that i knew that was going to happen um but the, some of the concerns that i had with it were that the changes they made to the core message of the story and what i mean by that is um i feel like a big defining factor of the story um all all the books is the balance between men and women and what role they have to play apart and also with each other. And I feel like, and again, we're kind of getting into spoilers, but with the book series, um, you have a very definitive divide in the beginning of the series. And by the end, everybody's really kind of come together and understood how that balance truly works. Um, and I didn't really feel that on the show. Oh. I felt like there was definitely a, uh, a, a, a divide and maybe they're trying to build into a, storyline like that but i feel like some of the changes they made to the characters um like you said make it hard to jump through hoops later to have that make sense um a revelation that the dragon reborn could be a male or a female i feel like was really strange um they they one of the defining points of the series is how male magic users male channelers uh they go mad they can't use the source properly and they have their own side of the source and then you have the women have their side of the source as well. Well, on the show, it seemed like it was, and this happens again later in the books, how there's the one power that yeah. has the two separate sides. In the show, it just seemed to be that there was just the one power. And there was a, a mindset of everybody's doing the same thing, but men and women want to fight over it. And that is part of the story, but I don't feel like it was properly conveyed that there's two separate sides to a coin. Right. Um, with the yin yang type of approach to the Aes Sedai and the uh, dragon fang symbols. Right. Um, things like that. Um, so I thought that was a little bit disconcordant. Um, and I feel like there were certain, and we might want to, you know, 
go into this maybe towards the end of the discussion. I feel like there were some certain changes. I think you were kind of alluding to this about how there were elements that they took that later you have to kind of figure, well, how is that going to work now? Right. I feel like with the way that the season specifically ended, um, I feel like they actually kind of um, ruined what some of the ending points of the book series are because they kind of did them, but they didn't commit to them. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how much detail we want to go with that, but the key point I'm going to point out is um, the whole thing at the, in the finale of the, of the show with Nynaeve and how she died and Egwene brought her back. That's very similar to something that happens in the end of the series, but has a very different outcome. And I feel like it kind of cheapened that moment by doing it as a frivolous thing in the first season. Yeah. To yeah. have it be bigger and better. Uh, that's what was the way I viewed it. Yeah. I could be way off. And like Nynaeve's whole thing is that she's the greatest healer right. in like 2000 years or something. And and she eventually becomes very prolific and she, she discovers new techniques and she's instrumental in, in essentially making it so that men can channel. And yet we give, um, not Guinevere, but, Egwene, mm-hmm. she like apparently is a better healer because she can bring people back from the dead. So it's like you take Nynaeve's thing and you just like, okay, you're not even as good at that anymore because this other character can do it better. It made no sense at all to me. Right. Uh, one of my big things in the books, you don't see channeling. It's invisible. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least I think like women can't see men channeling and men can't see women channeling. And that becomes a plot point at some point because there's characters that are masquerading as the opposite sex and they don't right. think they're channeling. And I and I get from a visual medium, if you just have all the eyes to eyes sitting around like making like eye gestures and stuff just happening, probably not the coolest thing in the world. So they, they created this mm-hmm. like wispy smoke trail sort of magic thing. But that doesn't make sense like the book over and over again is like how you can't see what's happened. That's that becomes plot points multiple times. And it just seems like you know, not the biggest deal in the world, but it's, it was just one of the things that bugged me uh, two more than I'll let Chris go. One Perrin is my favorite character. Oh, and yeah. I think they did Perrin dirty. Just yeah. like, I, I don't like what they did with his character, giving him a wife and then him accidentally killing her uh, because the thing about Perrin that we love so much is his relationship with Fael and him going into that relationship as someone who's inexperienced with women is very different than someone who was married and has a dead wife baggage. Like I don't see how that Mm -hmm. relationship is going to feel anything like the way it felt in the books. And that's one of my favorite things. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I got to mention at the very end of the book, or sorry, at the very end of the show, Chris, you might remember there's like this whole fleet mm-hmm. of ships show up, right? Yeah. And on there, they have these women who are channeling and they, they create this giant wave. And that's basically how the, the show ends is this tidal wave coming and crashing. All right. So these people become very important in the story yeah. because they have weaponized channeling. Like they basically okay. just kill people with the, with the channeling where mostly I said I don't. But I'm betting that you won't know that if you've not read the books, because the way channeling is shown in this show, people are killing people willy nilly. Like yeah, it's just yeah. it, it's being used so offensively all the time that it's not going to seem weird that these people are doing it 
using it offensively because everybody's using it offensively. And I just felt that was like, it just did like a huge disservice to the Sanchin or Sanchin, whatever they're called. Yeah. Like that's their whole thing is they've weaponized channeling and there's a little bit more to it, but that doesn't make like whoop de doo Everyone's weaponized channeling in this world. So anything yeah. else from anything from you, Chris, I know I, I had a lot there to say, but anything that stood out to you is particularly like what, or just bad. Well, for me, it was very predictable. Okay. Having never read the books, I could tell you halfway through an episode how that episode was going to end, how it was going to lead into the next one. Yeah. Episode two, when the, or whatever it was, when they first mentioned the Dragon Reborn, I was like, oh, it's that guy. Mm. Hey. And my wife was like, how do you know? Because Melissa was like, well, no, it's all of them. I'm like, no, it's not. It's him. She's yeah. like, how do you know? Because he's the only one that really hasn't channeled. Like, he hasn't discovered his inner being. He knocked the door down at one point, but they never really said that was channeling. That just looked more like he was mad and you know, he ran through it. So everybody else is showing, showing some signs. So they're trying to slow play it. I said, it's too predictable for me. Um, I didn't know until Kevin just said it in the books, the male female dynamic was, a, a, to me, this show was very much men can't handle power. It makes them go mad. Women have to take over. Like that's, kind of the message i took away from this show and i was like huh what that that seems odd to me yeah and i didn't know if that was like a, a i don't know someone trying to make a social point nowadays or what but now that you've explained that that in the books it was by the end of the series that there was a balance that they had to discover that actually makes a whole lot more sense to me now um i one of the moments that really I, I almost turned it off. I think it was in the last episode when they're breaking through the gap. All the warriors go out and they're like, we're going to get all the channelers to come out here and fight them off. And five people showed up. Five, yeah. I was like, that's it. That's mm. your last ditch effort is these five. Like these better be the five greatest channelers in the world that can right. split the earth. Cause otherwise they're, they're done. And you know, I just, to me, that part, I was like, well, did they just run out of, people that could stand there and channel like you could literally go down the road and ask you got to be in a show come on down right and see again and these are things that don't come across in the show because in the books right. women who can channel are looked down upon uh you know like we you have the the hmm. children of light who are very clearly against women who can channel they like capture them cut their hands off but just in general society a lot of people particularly in like the two rivers like the backwoods kind of yeah. people mm -hmm. they think they're witches they think there might be evil so you know people a lot of who, superstition a lot of superstition so even women who can channel sometimes will hide it um because they don't want to be known men who channel have to hide it or they're hunted down and killed because they all go mad because of the taint and the the magic that they use but all of that's lost. And to me, that's central to that story. It doesn't yeah, right. work without those, those dynamics. So I'm fine with changes, but I don't get the changes that they made. So I, I, I got through the entire first season, but I don't think I'm going to revisit it. I don't see it getting any better. I don't, I'm not, I have too many things that I want to watch that are really good, like Severance which was an amazing first season. I'm catching up on Better Call Saul season five because it just hit Netflix. I think that show is one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. I love it top to bottom. Nice. I just don't have time to dedicate to a show that I, I'm going to hate watch. Like I just, I don't have that in me. So, so you gotta, you gotta go into it with my mindset. Season two is going to be a train wreck. <laughs> I'm going to sit down with a bucket of popcorn and watch I'm going to totally miss you science theater this thing the entire time. Mm. 
the dialogue is going to be changed. Like my wife's going to sit there and roll her eyes as I make all my little jokes off to the side about, oh, he's going to sleep with her, who's going to then fall in love with him. And like, I'll just have fun with yeah. it. And then I'll start okay. rooting for the bad guys. And, yeah. and okay, that's one more thing I got to say. And, and I'm by no means a prude. And I even like by book five, I'm like, why aren't these people getting hand jobs? Like, I mean, they're, they, they, they're continuing <laughs> yeah. to act like, like there's like, That's like in literally in like book five, one character sees another character's like thigh when she gets on a horse yeah. and her skirt comes up and he like blushes and he like runs away. Like they age the characters up. Cause I think in the books they are like 14 and obviously here yeah, they're, they're older. Like barely on, on adulthood. Yeah. Um, I think the whole point is oh. when Egwene does her ceremony, you get her braid. Gets her, gets her braid. 17. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, they're very young. Right. So the, I get they aged them up a little bit, but in the very first episode when Egwene and Rand bang, I'm like, no, yeah. that's yeah. not these characters. Like, right. So, oh, see, I just assumed that was part of it because they were all, I mean, at episode one, they were all sleeping together. Yeah. Not yeah. Together, no, that's but, not anything. And again, I think the books were too far the other way because these are people who, at some point, they're the most powerful people on the planet. Like they are controlling nations and, and like, you know, just controlling armies. And they, they titter at the thought <laughs> of seeing someone with their shirt off when they get out of the out of a bath or something. And like, that makes no sense to me. But to start with, I would have liked a little bit more of a, I'm unsure how to act around people I'm attracted to versus, yeah, let's just bang one out right here. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, comes from uh, Robert Jordan's uh, faith. His uh, he's, he's a Mormon. And so there's a lot of that whole, you have to wait, you have to be chased. You have to kind of, and, and a lot of that falls into the books. Uh, again, not to get into too many spoilers for the book series, which is a much better version of the series, read the books. Um, but there's one of the main characters who ends up in a polygamous relationship with, three different people um and it's not weird or bizarre in the book series at all it's just that's how it is and and, and it's well done it's not weird or unbelievable that that's how it goes and i mean this is one of the many changes but uh yeah the uh the one last thing i want to say that i thought was strange was with the way they started the last episode with the uh the dragon who they called the dragon reborn kind of strange in a flashback um they kind of foreshadowed something again, something that happens later in the books, which then makes that pivotal moment in the end of the books not seem like it's a spontaneous choice that our heroes make. It almost seems like a oh well, that's just what's gonna happen. Mm. Um without by being as vague as possible. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting choices though. Interesting so choices. As, as far as the books, what I would say is read the first four, maybe five. Skip the next seven and then read the last couple because it's a really good story. And I really like the way it ends, but there are several books in the middle where nothing happens, like right. just nothing happens. And it's infuriating huh. at times. It's, you know, it's like you get to the point where Rand shows up and he meets a new people <laughs> and the people, they turn out, they have a legend about, about him, about the dragon reborn. He proves to them that's who he is. So they decide to follow him. And then all of a sudden, a new people show up and Rand's like, I don't have time to meet them. I guarantee if you spend 15 minutes with them, they're going to follow you because you're the dragon right. reborn. I guarantee they have a legend. It takes like four books for him to realize, oh, wait, they think I'm the Karakarn or whatever the hell the, the sea folk yeah. call him. And it was just like, come on, Rand, seriously, I know you're dumb, but that's just. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. So that's yeah. enough of, of that. Um, so, Chris, you mm -hmm. you mentioned it earlier, you just got back from this like big meeting with your company mm -hmm. 
and you kind of got energized. Like you, you came back from this Absolutely. thing, like what's supposed to happen when you come back from a work retreat, you're excited to get back right. to work and build and do things. And you were interested in maybe trying to figure out how that might relate to like role-playing games. Like how do we get people re-energized in a game, either maybe one's gone on for a while or has been on hold for a while, or just, you know, maybe you've, you've hit the midpoint of the campaign. And it's, again, it's like books five through nine of the will of time. It's just not the most exciting stuff. So I'll just let you kick it off. Like, what are you thinking here? Do you have any suggestions or are you just like thinking out loud? Well, uh, part of it is, you know, it, getting together for, for those that don't, I work for medical supply, home medical supply company. Most people don't think that's the most exciting thing to talk about oxygen and CPAPs and stuff like you that. You don't have oxygen. It's the most exciting thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, but to go there, and I, and I do operations, so I run a location. We, for the first time, had operations and sales in the same conference to sit down and go, okay, sales, this is how operations needs things to go. Operations, this is what sales needs. Now, stop arguing about things and talk and actually <laughs> – start working together and network and, and do what we should do as a company. And a big thought or a big theme, I should say, was get back to the basics uh, of what makes most of us join this industry, which is just taking care of people. Like as managers, yes, we have to focus on, is my office making enough money to be profitable? Because right. if not, the building shuts down. But how do I do that? And a lot of that was just get back to the basics, treat people right, take care of them. Try not to strangle your insurance companies because they are a nightmare to deal with. But that was nice. One of the big things was nice for me is I have a new regional vice president who, after the main meetings were done, gets all these people together from Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin. And she just points and goes, Chris, this is Martin. He runs this office. Go talk to him about this. Hey, Chris, this is Mark. He's the head of clinical in the Chicago area. Go talk to him about this. Learn this. Learn that. And after a few hours of all of us just chit-chatting, she goes, great. This is what this team's going to be. We all held up our glasses, and, and she kind of said, we're going to be the number one region and the number one company taking care of people. And I, I just I got fired up. And it made me think about at a table, as weird as it sounds, my regional VP was kind of the GM saying to the players, you two need to figure this out. You two need to figure this out. And at the end of it, just got us really pumped up to go do stuff. And she came into my office two days later and talked to me some more about stuff. I thought about that. I was like, man, as a GM, how many times at the end of a, a game do we you know, talk to our players and you know, pump them up and talk to them and ask them? What do you need from the game? What do you need from the, the story? You know, how can I help you get your goals? What are your character's goals? And stuff like that, just to keep our players intrigued. And then at the same time, how often do players go to their GM and say, hey, here's the things I'd like to get out of the story. Here's how I want to enjoy it. And how often do they talk to each other about that kind of stuff? You know, I, I'm lucky. A lot of my games, and you know, we'll play for three or four hours, and then we sit around for another three or four hours and chit-chat and have dinner or whatever and then you know we chit chat online and stuff like that but i was just trying to i was kind of curious to see how do you guys do that to keep people excited like kevin you're running what would you say like 20 games right now or 500 <laughs> whatever it was um, but how do you keep all those people excited if you're doing four games 
Yeah, well, I think feedback is really important, as you mentioned. Having that back and forth, that rapport, is really important to get to know what you're not doing right, so you can fix it. Is really good. Um, what I always try to just do um, it, four games at one time is a bit extreme, and it's not how I usually operate. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the necessity of just how everything's going right now. Um, what I always try to do is I always try to think of what exactly is the the main. How do I phrase this? How exactly is what everybody is doing is going to be getting the most output? Um, an example might be if you're running a game and you're trying to figure out, uh, we got a big boss fight coming up next episode, session, whatever you want to call it, for mm-hmm. example. How can I get my players thinking about that, strategizing about that? And it really could just be a matter of, like you said, having feedback, having discussions out of game. Um, I actually love that having, you know, some people use things like discords, people can use uh, text messaging. Uh, I don't know if you want to have uh, carrier pigeons. I don't know something <laughs> there with the messages going back and forth. <laughs> Smoke but, signals. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Whatever's going to work. Um, but yeah, just definitely having that, that line of uh, dialogue just really helps. Um, I like your idea of, um, what your what your regional manager did in terms of actually having delegations of like okay there's this one specific task figure that out um here's this other task figure that let's all come together and then these two things will fit together and these things will fit together um kind of structuring a campaign structuring a game like that's kind of kind of a, a good thing i think because then you can actually um get that synergy of like you said everybody's excited about different things but the different things are all interconnected yeah um, I feel like I've talked to a circle around it, but uh, yeah, but just yeah, just uh, yeah, just getting everybody to uh, whatever the the main focus is. uh, Keep everybody focused. I've had a problem in the past myself, and I'm sure I'm not the only game master, dungeon master who's done this, where you have a lot of balls that you throw up because you want to give people choices. You don't want to railroad people. You want to have everybody's backstory matter, and you want to have everybody be into the story. Um, But when you got like. 20 things it's nice to just grab that one thing and be like okay hone in on this and present it in a way that because it's important because it's central people can get excitement out of that i think no i agree yeah. i think oh, go ahead that is the toughest thing as a gm trying to figure out okay i got five players for example all have their own goals all have their own backstories i'm like you i can't i can't work all five in at once I kind of tend to focus on one player at a time, but try to do it in a way that the rest of the group is kind of behind that whole storyline. Like, you know, maybe Michael's character has a long lost brother that is whispered as, you know, stuck in a haunted house. Well, now the party has to go through. I'll, that'll be kind of my focus is, you know, it's Michael's brother you're trying to rescue. But maybe I know your character, for example, is scared of spiders. Well, I'm sure. going to throw spiders in there. So that keeps your character going. Even though it's it's probably not a major part of your, it might be a major part of your character. Who knows? You know, maybe you get a giant spider that falls on top of you, and now Michael's <laughs> brother's got to save him. Or maybe Michael's brother is a giant spider. Oh, even better. And yeah. you know that kind of thing. But um, what are you gonna say, Michael? I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I was just thinking out loud that 
the the thing that that made me think about the way your your VP was assigning people is like a lot of times when I watch TV shows that I really get invested in, you know, I get I'm, I care about the characters more than the story. Like I want to mm-hmm. see these characters interacting and the story is just an excuse for them to hang out together. And I think some of the better games I have ran that's the sort of the same vibe. It's like, I'm just enjoying hanging out with these characters and the nutty adventures they get into. And I don't care too much if the story makes a lot of sense. So the, one of the things that becomes fun is when you have different groupings than you normally have. So either, you know, Mm -hmm. normally you have everybody together. So in maybe one session, you, you split the party, you know, you're not supposed to do that a whole lot, but you know, sometimes it can be fun, but then maybe the pairings that you split up could be interesting. So as the dungeon master, a game master, you know, you can kind of decide that you also can present it as a way like, Hey, you got two things, who's going to do what, but you could also just, you can control as you give out information and how you run the game where you can say, okay, you two characters are the two that have to do this job or you're more, you know, you make more sense, or this is what's happening around you and to pair people in interesting ways. So just, you know, again, I'm just making up examples, but let's say you have four mm-hmm. characters and like two of them are siblings, like in their backstory, their brother and sister or brother, brother, whatever the case may be. So usually they are together whenever, you know, they're on the same side or whatever the case may be. So then separating them and putting like the thief with the uh, barbarian or, you know, the cleric with the atheist warlock or whatever the case may be. So to let them give them a chance to like role play with each other, it doesn't really matter what the plot is. The interesting thing is the characters that are interacting together in a way they haven't had a chance to before. So that was what came to my mind is just trying to separate the group or, or change the dynamics so that you have these interesting pairings on occasion so that you get to, you know, you just get them, give them opportunity to role play in a way that maybe they haven't before. That makes sense. Something fun I read one time years ago. I forget who wrote it, so I can't properly cite somebody. Um, But they had an example of if your players aren't really engaged the way you want them to be, you have somebody show up and steal something of theirs. Mm. (laughs) And they are going to, like, you know, they've got to, I don't know, even if something simple, oh, this guy stole my boot dagger. Your party's going to track that dude down, you know, and they're going to make a point to, I want my boot dagger back. Uh, you can do that with the plot, too. You could have it be a, kind of like in your example. You could have, uh, uh, you know, big, bad, evil guy you don't know is a big, bad, evil guy shows up, does something, kidnaps somebody, steals something, uh, I don't know, destroys half a town, whatever you want it to be. And now the party is once again like, whoa, that came out of left field. But now they're. They have a reason to get back into it. Uh, we're going to call this the Colson effect, where mm-hmm. <laughs> they're going to, you know, there's a reason for them to continue and to kind of fight back, I guess you mm-hmm. could say. Yeah. I think when I first started running games, it was almost like, you know, there was this sort of heightened position that the DM held, that they were the arbiter of everything, mm-hmm. all the rules and all the story and all the lore. And, you know, if the characters wanted to open a door, the only way they would know if something was there is what I told them was on the other side and that kind of thing. And I think, I think for the most part, we we have gotten away from that. You know, I think in a majority of cases, that's not how the game works anymore. There are still some people who, who enjoy that type of game and and run it. But I think for the most part, we've moved away. But I think as someone who, who played that way, I still sometimes struggle to fully embrace that where I want all my players to have agency to not only, you know, have agency over what their characters, but of the world, you know, I want my players to feel free to just make stuff up. You know, they can just say, I know a guy or I know a person, or let's go to this town. I heard 
that there's like a harpy that's actually in charge of the town. Sure. Yeah, that's a thing now. I'll go with that. Um, and I just think that, you know, one, it takes weight off my shoulder, but when they're invested in the creation of things, I think it's more likely they're going to stay invested in, in how that story unfolds. Um, and then to tie it back into like that situation with my kids, you know, I had two players at the table who didn't know who the heck we were, but it was very obvious that they were trying hard to make sure my kids got the spotlight as often as possible. If everyone is doing that all the time, you know, I think I use the analogy for it's like bump, set, spike in a volleyball team, you know, and it rotates. Sometimes I'm the bump person and the other person set, and then you get to spike it and you, you get the glory moment, whatever. But then maybe next week it switches a little bit and I'm setting your character up to do the thing. And I'm letting my character be made the fool so that your character can step in and sort of help me and save the day or whatever the case may be. I just feel like that mindset of we're all in it together right. and the object is to have fun. So what do we find is fun? And then let's all work toward that. And if for your group, if it's moving through a plot and defeating the bad guy, then let's all work towards that same goal and not have that one player who's like, well, I don't know why my characters are here. Like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that mission because it doesn't make sense. Like get that, get the F out of here with that stuff, right. you know, create a character right. that wants to be part of the team and then work together and whatever it is you're trying to to do that day. If it's shopping, then have a great shopping montage episode. If it's killing something, then go kill things as best you can. But if everybody's working together and trying to help each other out, I just think the game works better. Step off my soapbox that people having fun together is good. I love it. I agree. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think there's also game systems that I thought about that kind of help the GM almost reward players for doing cool things mm -hmm. like uh, savage worlds has bennies you do mm -hmm. something cool you can get a benny uh yeah. shadow of the demon lord has fortune oh uh, you did something cool here's a fortune point you can use that in the game later to you know do something cool so it kind of rewards you for doing those i think that actually helps the gm keep things going and keep some excitement up um, and i'm somebody who honestly forgets that stuff a lot of times when we're playing because yeah. I'm old. They never had that stuff in the games. You know, mm -hmm. like Michael said, it was usually the GM versus the players in a weird way. Right. And you were just hoping to survive your encounter <laughs> with the dragon when you're third level or trying to figure out how can you run away and jump in the river or how can I throw Michael's character into the dragon so he's eating while I run away. That's right. That's but, it. <laughs> which, yes, I've done that. Um, but, you know, now I think it's, you know, like you said, Michael, things are different, you know. The games are starting to reward players for doing cool things and helping GMs create more excitement. And, uh, it was just something that, you know, I thought was kind of a neat little topic to talk about quick. You know, I came back super excited. Like I went to my office. I'm like, I've got 12 pages of notes, guys. We're changing everything. And they're like, what am I? We're not wow. changing everything. Right. I like them. We're not changing everything. We're going to burn but, it all down. That's yeah, it. I'm like, I've got some cool ways of wording this. I've got some cool ways of explaining this to customers because, with, with medical supplies, the hardest thing is explaining insurance. Yeah. For me, I could rattle off like this, you know, snapping my fingers, but most people don't understand the difference between a copay and coinsurance and how does your deductible work for you or for your family. So trying to explain all that to them takes time. Well, learning how different people explain it and making it easier for us was, was very exciting for me to be able to go back and teach my team that. And it helps that my team is all... Uh, I use the term young, uh, maybe the term inexperienced in the industry. 
because mm-hmm. most of them are fairly new to this industry is it's kind of nice to be able to teach them in different ways. I would equate that. I've said this before, but like when I go to conventions, when I'm running games, almost across the board, I have more fun if I have a group of new or newer players than I do if I have someone who's done it, been there, done that before. There's just something about that, you know, inexperience and that glee at like the first time they meet a goblin. It's still cool when, you know, you have someone who's played since, you know, 1980s. They've been there. They've done that. You you had to come up with something new and interesting maybe for them. And maybe it's just, I'm not that good at DMing. Maybe I, I you know, run a very basic game, but I'll run yeah. a game. If you've never well. played before, you'll have a great time. And <laughs> and I have fun like with their, you know, their excitement builds into me and then I'm more excited and then it just sort of reciprocates. So even if you're not excited, maybe fake it, you know, maybe yeah. if you're there to have, you know, have fun and it's not the game you were expecting, it's three hours. It's four hours. Do the best you can. Make it as exciting as possible. And then maybe, you know, maybe it's not for you and check out. But the big thing I would circle back to is conventions. Again, Catacon, August 16th and then November 4th at 6th. That's a great way to do what you did is to go and meet with other people, play yep. in other games, play with other GMs, play with other DMs, experience new systems. Maybe there's a game you've not played before and you can steal a mechanic from it or just concepts like Benny's or whatever the case may be. And if you can't go to conventions, that's what podcasts are for, you know, go or streams, watch someone playing, listen to a podcast. Even if, even if you're not really into actual plays, listen to it for an hour and just listen to what the DM is doing and go, Oh, that's cool. I want to steal that. Or, Oh, I don't like the way they did that. I'm, I want to make sure I I'm not doing that in my game. So you have this, this, so many resources available to you that we didn't have when I started playing and I was just making stuff up, you know, on my own terribly, uh, so, you know, use them, use those resources. Yeah. I love that. I, I, ta- I once uh, talked with John Harper, who's blades in the dark creator, lots of other games as well. And he said that as a game designer, what's really important and a necessity for him is to play other games, to constantly be playing, see what works, what doesn't oh, work, for sure. how you can adapt things. Uh, you, he can learn you know, what people like, what they don't like by trying a myriad of different things. And I think that's important for your dungeon mastering as well, or game mastering if you want to be more general, is to definitely, I've seen people before, I mean, I was this guy for many years because I played with people who didn't want to play anything except Dungeons and Dragons. We played 3.5 D&D for probably 10 years out of the 20 years I've been playing because that's all people wanted to play. Mm-hmm. Um you get pigeonholed. You have a certain one mindset of this is what it always is going to be. And that can find you being a little bit burnt out and a little bit humdrum and used to going through the motions. Um, if we do what you're saying, Michael, where you have new influences, new, new eyes that you look on things, you can actually then get that energy level up. You can get that new excitement. I, I, I always say that I have a friend who he's going to start DMing. He's only been playing for about a year and a half, but he's going to DM. I'm like, cool. He's like, well, what's the number one thing you'd say? I'm like, honestly, play something you want to play, play something that you like, something that you're passionate about. Yep. It's contagious. If you as a dungeon master or game master are going to present to your players, I'm excited. This is awesome. I'm having fun it kind of reciprocates um, unless oh. you're terrible and you're being a jerk or something. Well, yeah. <laughs> most DMs aren't despite all the horror stories of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> the, the reason those stick out is because they're not that common, but they're, they're right. too common in some ways. But I also think it's super yeah. important just to play. Like, you know, I, I was yeah. a forever mm-hmm. DM for like mm-hmm. 20 years 
And then it wasn't really till the podcast started that I got a chance to really start playing a lot of other games and going to conventions. And, you know, there are things that I did as a DM that were terrible. And I never realized it until I played in a game where someone did that to me. And I was like, oh, that's not fun on this side. Yeah, like, right. I, like I had a reason to do it. I thought I was doing a thing and there was, there was, there was a method to my, my process, but it just wasn't fun. And when I'm on the other side of the table, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I need to change that. I need to change my process. Mm -hmm. So steal from the DMs that do it in a way you love. And like, I mean, I've had horror stories. I've, you know, I've, I've mentioned a few of them on the podcast and I try really hard to, to avoid those things. And you have learned from both. I'm a much better DM because I play probably more than anything else. That's one of the big things that's made me a better DM is playing more games as a player, not necessarily as a DM. So yeah, play games. It's also, that's, that's like my, my, my key for burnout when I'm, when I'm just tired of running, I just go play for a little while. And then I'm usually right. like ready to run again, you know? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. The other thing with playing a lot of games, this is a trick that I learned. You develop so many NPCs you can use in your games. Yeah. Right. You just change the names. Nobody has to know that it's, you know, Steve, the bard you played, you know, in Michael's game, you, you just run it in your home game and now you call him Kevin. Like, right. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter. You, know, you develop the personality, you develop the characteristics. You know, I, I think that's fun to do. And I'm talking major NPCs, not just shopkeeper right. you go to buy your rope from. But you, know, you, you can really make cool NPCs from characters you've played because you've already captured them. You've already developed their personality. And you can reuse them. I do it all the time. Though Steve, who's running the shop, but he wants to be a bard named Kevin. That's his stage name. Is a cool NPC. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I like it. <laughs> He's, awesome. not a, he's not a very good bard. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not yet. Damn it. But the world will know. Right. His, his dad is going to rue the day he told him he'd never make something else. <laughs> That's it. All right. So, Get with that, we're going to theater. What's wrong with exactly. you? Exactly. <laughs> Get a real job, you hippie. Um, all right. But we're going to move on. Uh, we're going to move into our second improv game. I, I At the moment, the internet's working. I don't know if anybody is still watching or not, but New York Tater, this is for you if you're there now. We're going to play Where Have My Fingers Been? And this is a game where we will improv a short scene using our little finger puppets. Uh, we will once again prompt each other in turn to create that short scene um, and just kind of see how things go. So, Kevin, once again, you are the guest. Would you like to give someone the prompt first or receive the prompt first? Um, I'll receive the prompt first. I'll go first. We'll, we'll, we'll get it rolling. All right. So, first of all, you have to sing the song. It's, just, it's required oh, yes, by law, so please. <laughs> where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers are, one is trying to convince the other to play a different game. Oh boy. I've been here. Done this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey guys, I gotta be honest. Uh, you know, this new system, it's amazing. I know it's called legend of the five rings. You think that it's Lord of the Rings. It's not Lord of the Rings. It's legend of the five rings. It's awesome. Magic samurais. Who doesn't want to do that? Oh, you know what? That actually sounds pretty badass. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> and this is where my fingers spin. Wow. That that Yay. is an amazing. That, that, I mean, yeah. if you do the pitch right, there's nowhere to go. But, but that's yeah. it. You only go up. <laughs> All right. All right. So Kevin, so you will now prompt Chris. Oh, okay. uh, right. Hold on. Uh, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Alrighty. Your fingers have been to the local gaming store, and they both have come across the last copy 
of Catan. Oof. I got it. Oh, I got it. I touched it first. No, I did. My hand was there first. I licked it. It's mine. <laughs> I licked it too. Now it's mine. Please. I, I just, I've never played. I really want to play. But this is the collector edition. I have to have it. It has 3D everything. But, 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 I, please. Fine. You can have it. But only if you bring it to my game table. Deal. And that's where my fingers are bent. Yay. Uh, it's right. a much better scene than mine. Uh, I've nice. been there. So. <laughs> where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Uh, let's see, Michael. Uh, Steve, who now wants to be Bob the Bard, taking his first Bardic lesson. Me, 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 me. You, 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 you. I, I'll be honest. I'm not sure I'm quite getting the hang of this. I mean, I understand that, you know, your voice is an instrument and it's really important and you've got to work it out. But are you sure that this is what I should be doing? Yes, this is exactly what you should be doing. This is what you've paid me for. Now get back on that stump and say me, 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 me a lot. Okay, but... Can I wear my pants? No. And that's where my fingers have been. Nice. Hey. All right. So now we're going to move Great. into cryptozoology. This is where we talk about a monster, usually from D&D, but not always. And we think about some, maybe talk about ways we've used them in the past or brainstorm some ways that we can use them in the future. Kevin, again, it was short notice, but what monster did you want to talk about tonight? Well, in light of Stranger Things Season 4 coming out here in a little bit, as we talked about, I wanted to talk about liches. Liches. Tonight. Because they are wild and crazy stuff. Do you have um, 99 problems, and is a lich one of them? One of them. I think if you have a lich in the mix, you that's the only problem you need, really, because mm-hmm. your hands are pretty full. <laughs> All right. um, yeah, liches are very unique, very different. For those who might not know, and of course, I'm sure everybody knows, but if you don't, they are basically spellcasters who have turned themselves immortal by using magic and profane rituals to remove parts of themselves and put them in a phylactery that you have to try to track down. If you try to destroy the lich without the phylactery, they're coming right back, and they're usually more pissed off, usually more powerful. Um, they're kind of uh, Lord Voldemort, I guess, if you want a more pop culture reference mm-hmm. of what a lich might be like. Yeah. Um, and yeah, liches are really insane, and I mean that in a fun and also scary way. <laughs> um, wizards, I think, on their best day are already people who are dabbling with some really dangerous and scary stuff. Um, I always find it interesting when players play spellcasters that are flippant with their magic, because if you really think about a high-level wizard or sorcerer or warlock or bard or whoever, um, you're dealing with earth-shattering, universe-changing elements you're dealing with things that are very dangerous and a lich has decided to take those elements and to further pervert them for personal gain. I think this makes a lich a very dangerous person. Um, despite whatever their reasonings were before they've, they've gone all in this person. Um, the times that I've encountered a lich or dealt with a lich or used a lich, I've always presented them as Um, This isn't your redemption story. Uh, This isn't your, you know, this is a good guy who made a wrong choice. Usually the lich 
Um, I should be interested to see a lich that's like that, but usually a lich is somebody who they they've made a purposefully purposefully it's not a word. <laughs> uh, well, it is, but not in that context. Uh, they've made a choice to um, to be evil, to do something terrible, mm-hmm. um, to pervert magic. Um, I think that's a really fascinating thing. Um, liches, I feel like in a game, um, the only time I've actually really used a game. Uh, I'm sorry, used a lich in a game that I have run um, was in a way where the lich was just kind of getting set up and kind of presented and we're starting to get into what the bigger picture might be before the game disbanded because of COVID stuff that this happens. Um, so we didn't really fully use it, but definitely it was the, you know, a dark ritual, a, a, a bad guy, I guess you could say. Um, I've played in games with liches. Uh, a lich that I thought was really interesting was a, a game that had... Um, it was an Eberron game, and the Lich had a, uh, besides using magic, they also had technology of the Eberron type of setting. So we're talking to somebody who's got, you know, metal ar- a metal arm, and they've got, you know, heightened senses because they've got basically mechanics that are making them more dangerous, which presents a whole new bag of worms, I guess you could say. Yeah, but I've always seen them as something very, very scary and different. And uh, I would love to actually use them sometime in a more permanent capacity. But how about you guys? You guys have been playing a little bit longer than I have. Um, yeah, that's a nice way of saying world. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I've used- <laughs> I didn't mean that negatively. I just mean you guys have you guys more experience. Yeah. You guys are more yeah. experienced. I'll, so that's a better way to I've used that. liches a few times. Uh, most of, again, I've said before, most of my campaigns have died. Like a, a very rarely, if ever, have gotten to the end of a campaign. So I've, I've had a lot that were set up to be the main bad guy. Uh, so they were the ones pulling strings, you know, but I'd, I think I might've had like one time where they actually fought uh, actually, you know, one on, or, you know, combat with, with the Lich, but usually they were the ones behind the scenes, pulling the strings, that kind of thing. So I've never had a chance to do a, a, a lot of really interesting things with them because they were, they were so far behind the scenes that none of their personality or anything had come to the forefront. And I believe we talked about Liches once before. I don't know if it was on here, but I remember having a conversation about Liches at some point in time, um, and I had the idea for sort of like you were saying, it's sort of like a redemption arc where you had someone who had a vision of the future and they felt like they were the only ones that were capable of defeating this like terrible thing that was going to happen in the future. But it was so far in the future that they would be dead. So their journey to become a lich was out of an altruistic sense of I have to be there to prevent this. But of course, over the you know years, things got twisted, but they still think that they're trying to say like they have to stay alive, otherwise the world ends. But then at what point do they become the thing that they foresaw that is killing all these other people to keep itself alive? So you kind of have that self-fulfilling prophecy from their point of view. You know, maybe the only reason they were needed to be around was to force the situation that the heroes were born from, you know, the crucible that that created the heroes to defeat them that were then in the position to defeat the thing that was prophesied to come after. So I don't know that that would play well at the table, but it might be a fun story to write. Mm-hmm. What about you, Chris? Have you yeah. ever used a lich before? Any ideas maybe how to use one in the future? I haven't used one um, primarily because most of my games never went long enough that characters got to be high enough level to deal with them. And 
that's part A and part B was to me a, a lich. I mean, they're 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 kind of the ultimate wizard in that world. Um, they should be the puppet masters more than anything. And if you have a lich out there, they're going to be so powerful that they're going to be able to, uh, to hide themselves at all time. Uh, so I never really threw them out there. I did have an idea a long time ago. Um, I have to find my notes on it. But the idea was uh, somebody did make themselves a lich. And the god of death was mad because you just cheated him out of your soul. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get to place judgment on you and send you where you're supposed to go. So he was working to get the players to go hunt down this lich and find him because for some reason he couldn't see the undead in the world. He can only see the living. So he was trying to get them to find the lich. And the idea with that was they weren't going to be the ones really fighting the lich. They were just going to be the ones like, hey, dad, that's the guy that's being mean. Go get him. And then the god of death would come in and then they would get to kind of watch this lich and the god of death fight. And then I was just going to roll die and see which one won and then kind of narrate it because maybe you have a nice. new God of death. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Uh, it was a neat idea. I think at the time I wasn't a good enough GM to think about all the levels and layers that would be involved in a game like that. Cause it'd be a lot of the God of death, not really coming out and being like, all right, Michael, I'm the God of death. Go find the lich. Mm-hmm. By the way, his name's Kevin. I think he's over that way somewhere. Like I, the guy to death wouldn't want to come out and say that. And at the time, I don't think I was a good enough GM to kind of hide that and do it the right way. Yeah. It'd be interesting to try it now, um, especially in some of the systems now where maybe a lich isn't as powerful. I mean, first and second edition, I cut my teeth on. Liches were brutal. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they had the, the save or die spells left and right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, their their magic resistance was well. Not magic saving throws at the time were pretty rough, and fighters had a hard time beating them. And if you played it right, they're just going to charm all the fighters. Eh, <laughs> you don't want to hurt me. You're right. I don't. I'm going to sit over here and play in your gold type of thing. But I, I think they're a neat idea. You know, it's when you get that high level of a creature, I think it also can scare players a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why they work so well as the the person behind the curtain, the one pulling the strings that, you know, you don't face them until the end of a campaign when your characters are high yeah. enough level and, you know, powered up and that kind of thing. Um, I did actually remember another time I used one, but it was just as a plot device. Um, we played 13th Age, our Secrets, Lies, and the Undead campaign, which is still one of my favorite campaigns we've ever played. It's on the website if anybody's interested. Um, so in 13th age, you have the icons or are either mm-hmm. of you familiar with them? Yeah, it's a great game. Yeah. yeah. So they're basically at 13 super powerful NPCs that kind of control the world. Uh, one of which is the Lich King and another is the, uh, Prince of Shadows, who's a known trickster. So what had happened in the backstory of my game is that the crown, the Prince of Shadows stole the Lich King's phylactery and then nice. made it into the heart that he gave an NPC to keep them alive after they had all but died on the battlefield. So this person was walking around with a, a mechanical dwarven heart that was actually also the the basically the soul of the Lich King, but they didn't know that. And the Lich King right. didn't know where it was either. So basically it was like this big practical jokes that the Prince of Shadows was playing on everybody. Uh, and then the PC that was like their adoptive father was that character. And when the game started, 
the Lich King had started to figure out, like narrow down where his phylactery was. And so they ended up kidnapping him and there were zombies everywhere. So that was like, the players never really interacted with that. They were interacting with what was happening because of this thing that the mm-hmm. Prince of Shadows had done like years and years ago as a practical joke. Hmm. Awesome. I love that. So go listen yeah. to Secrets, Lies, and the Undead if, if you're interested in that at all. <laughs> so I think maybe the, the, the trick with Liches then would be because they are so high level. A lot of games don't get that high level. What would be a way that we could perhaps make them lower level to where, let's say, 10th level heroes could fight them? Would it just be a matter of making so they're killable or maybe do it in a way where the liches are actually not completely done with the ceremony yet? Yeah. I kind uh, of think, just, you know, I think, again, I think J.K. Rowling at this point is a garbage person. Um, but well, sure. I think Voldemort, I think that is a pretty good blueprint where you could gamify it a little bit where you have multiple Horcruxes and, you know, every time you destroy one, they become weaker. So, you know, if they have seven or 10 of them and they kill, they just, they find and destroy five of them, then they're basically lowering the Lich down to a closer level. So they can either kill them, destroy them all, or just, you know, wait till they get to the right level where, okay, well, we're powerful enough after we've taken out five of them that we could now face them directly. So I think that's just a very easy gamified way, you know, to say they're level 20, they have 10 of these, every one you destroy drops them by two levels all the way down. If you find all 10, they basically would be, you know, a shell of a person that could be taken out easily type of a thing. So that's nice. one suggestion. Chris, did you have something? I kind of feel like I stepped over you there. No, you're good. Uh, you could kind of change how they were made too. Instead of a, a ritual, maybe they made a, a pact with, an evil deity that turned them into a lich earlier than they should have. So maybe they haven't learned all their magic and they haven't gotten all of their spells. And part of the deal is that, you know, now they're locked in some tower somewhere in their undead state learning. And then that God's like, someday you'll be my champion, but for now you must stay here and learn. Well, of course they're going to get ambitious and start toying out in the real world to, you know, with themselves and, that's when the players could get pulled into it and then they have to, you know, go fight something that's not quite as tough. Yeah. That, I mean, that'd be one way I might do it. It could also yeah. just be, you know, madness. They, they, you know, they've been around for thousands and thousands of years. They're starting to lose their cognitive abilities. So their spells are not like they're, they're actually losing the ability to cast magic or the spells are going haywire. They're misfiring. So that could be even like the plot point that people realize what's, what's going on. These like huge, you know, not global, but like, you know, kingdom uh, affecting spells are going off at random and they're doing weird things. And, you know, it's just a matter of time. Like the longer you wait, the weaker they would get. Or it just makes it look like as the DM, you could balance the encounter by not having them have access to their most powerful spells or giving them an extra chance of, you know, misfiring spell failure type of a thing because they are not fully focused. They don't have all their cognitive abilities anymore. You could even do that the ritual. Something got screwed up in the ritual. And maybe they've been locked in their, you know, up their own little prison, so to speak, for so long that you know the, the only thing they've talked to is a rock they've painted with a face on it that they call Wilson. Wilson. Now they've just completely gone mad and you know, they maybe they see things and they're casting spells in the opposite direction to help the players. Yeah. I mean you, you could know, definitely have a, a role play like where the, the defeating the lich is not combat at all. It's just a role play right. situation. Like, so maybe they do the background, you know, taking it back to that first example I had where the person thought they were 
doing a good thing if they've done the research, the players, I mean, they figure out who this person was and why they tried to do what they were doing. You know, it might be anticlimactic to some players, but it could be a really interesting role play scene where you just have to like, you know, talk to them and convince them that you've done what you set out to do. No one else needs to, you know, you can rest now. You can go into the, you know, the clearing at the end of the path and see your family members, whatever. And just the lich decides that, you know, they've served their purpose and move on. Nice. I almost wonder if structurally, if you could take a campaign, like say Curse of Strahd mm-hmm. and use that type of structure in a game trying to take care of a lich, because you have the same situation in that game where you have Strahd, who, when you start the game at potentially one or third level, um, he's 15, 16. I don't remember exactly what level he is, but you're not going to take him down the second you meet him. Yeah, no. um, so you have to build into that. And to do that, you're doing questing. You're trying to find these magical items that can weaken his power, lessen his grip on the land. Um, you can kind of maybe approach a game with a lich in that same kind of approach where you have, as you're saying, if you destroy, we're going to use Horcruxes as an example. If you destroy the Horcruxes, you destroy the phylactery. Or conversely, you could have maybe if you per, you know you get this item away from a feign of power or you get this specific person to a location, it messes up the plan. Maybe there's a certain set of actions that has to happen. If you prevent that, then you prevent the ritual from being finished. Um, that's that's a, that's an interesting campaign. A lot of folks, uh, of course, have experienced. So that's why I bring it up yeah. is it has a very similar, you have to build and build and build to that final confrontation. You just don't show up and you could kick Strahd up. <laughs> gamify it a little bit, like sort of like a video game where maybe the the layer that the lich is in the castle or the dungeon or whatever, there are these like nodes of necrotic energy and that's what's sustaining them and either negating them or def, def, you know destroying them would weaken their power. So think of it like a, a video game bad guy that has like these, you know, there's like four things that are casting a shield and you have to blow those up before you can attack the the main bad guy type of thing, you've got to infiltrate the castle, negate or destroy these necromatic nodes before you actually face them. And then when you do that, they're just like a, you know, powerful wizard, but nothing beyond like nothing beyond that type of a thing or, you know, level appropriate, whatever level it might be at the time. So, all right. I love that. I think we've had some good ideas here. Mine might've been one of them too. Who knows? But we'll throw it out here to the audience. Uh, anyone listening now or in the future, if you've had some experience with liches, you know, games that went really well, really interesting, whether they were something you ran or you played in, we'd love to hear about it. Please hit us up on Twitter, on Facebook, or on our website. When we post the episode, send us an email, the RPG Academy at gmail.com and let us know any of your history with a lich character that you think is memorable. Uh, but we're going to move on. The last thing we do here is audience Q&A. So I, we do have a couple people that are still watching. The internet currently is working. So if you have any questions for Kevin, Chris, or myself, should be gaming related, but doesn't necessarily have to be. But we take reserve the right not to answer them if we don't feel like it's appropriate. Uh, but while we're waiting for the internet to catch up with us, Kevin, where can people come find you on the internet? Where are your projects? Where are your podcasts? Give us all the plugs. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I'm, my name is Kevin and you can find me on the socials at Kev Rand games. Um, my podcast specifically is the game night heroes podcast, which you can find at game night heroes on all different socials as well, or game night I'm also a cast member of murder hobo Inc, which is a uh, streaming 
uh, channel on Twitch that you can find me at as well. I play in a bi-weekly game and sometimes one-shot fill-in games. Um, and the one-shots are open for everybody. So if you want to come and play and hang out with some cool folks, uh, find them on Twitter and uh, send a message over to Frank, our guy in charge, and he'll get you in there to do some awesome, wacky stuff. Um, nice. Yeah, it's 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 a fun stream. Uh, I'm happy to be part of it. But they, there's a talk show on Tuesdays that, that they do, and then also uh, four different campaigns that rotate different days: Thursdays, Saturdays, Sundays, that sort of thing. Gotcha. So uh, yeah, yeah. And awesome that is game Knight Heroes for those yes, of you trying K, to search. Like round yep. table. Yep. Yes, thank you for clarifying <laughs> that. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, and New York Trader says the closest they have come to a lich was a mother-in-law, which <laughs> I will actually say could be a fun like satirical comedy game Twist where up. almost like the monsters, like you actually do have like yeah. the mother-in-law is like a monster type thing. Like All right, that. Chris, where can people find you on the socials or come hang out, listen to your stuff on the internet? Uh, Twitter is the easiest place. Uh, Berlu underscore Chris. Otherwise you can listen to me on redemption podcast uh, or on here a lot. All right. That's pretty much where you can find me. Uh, I, of course, am Michael. You can find me at the RPG Academy. You can email us, therpgacademy at gmail.com. I'm currently in so many different projects and things that I'm trying to do and organize and plan, and I'm failing at most of them. But Catacon Kickstarter is probably the biggest thing. Uh, August 16th, again, you're going to hear that a thousand more times before then. Uh, But getting a badge early really does help us a whole lot. We have a pretty aggressive goal this year because we lost money last year. So I needed a little extra padding worked in because I cannot afford to lose money again. Uh, I think we can get there. I don't think it's unreasonable, but it's a little higher than last year. And that always terrifies me. Um, Action 12 Cinema. Again, I'm still thinking it will be published or possibly crowdfunded later this year. Uh, My other game, Thief Down and Out. You'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks um, as I get it further developed. And then all the other silly stuff I do, all the podcasts and streams. So just go to RPG Academy and you'll find me, find me there. Uh, so no other questions came in. New York Tater, thank you for sticking with us when the stream was a little bit wonky. For everyone else, I appreciate you trying. Uh, anyone listening in the future, maybe next week will be better. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back anytime. Uh, but thank until next time, we just remember, if you're having fun. You're doing it right. You're doing it right. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly... 
that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.